I'm so glad that y'all are here. My name is Chuck, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Sugar Hill Church. And um, so if, if you're uh, unaccustomed to your pastor doing silly things like I just did with that song, man, I am almost sorry. And I'm so glad that y'all got with it. That was so much fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I really do believe when you come to church, three things ought to happen. One, you ought to know that you're welcomed home. Two, you ought to be fed truth straight from God's word. And three, you ought to be able to be here and enjoy your time. Uh, it ought to sharpen us. It ought to make us better. It, it ought to give us joy. And we ought to be able to grow deeper. And so with all that in mind, let's jump into 1 Samuel chapter 15. And today I want to talk about friendships. I've never in all my years in ministry taught specifically about friendships. And I, man, I have found some, some great friends in my life, but honestly, you're, if you're like me, I've got a lot of acquaintances, but I've got a very small group of friends. And today's story is about a friendship between Jonathan, who is the son of the king of Israel, Saul. It's his son, who he is next in line to become the king, and David, the shepherd boy who was anointed in the fields of Bethlehem and kills Goliath, the Philistine giant, with the slingshot. It's the friendship between Jonathan and David. And they, they give us a model here for what I believe Paul teaches in the New Testament and what Jesus taught in the New Testament because we need one another whether we agree that, that that's true or not. We are made in such a way that we need people with us, especially people that may not think like we do, act like we do, but we have this common bond that's stronger than our differences. If you're with me, nod your head. You with me? And so when we think about this, I believe we all have a crisis in our life of not having enough meaningful, purposeful friends. And part of that is what I see in social media. Uh, I read this past week. I want, to listen, I want you to listen to this guy's title because I think it's absolutely awesome. This dude by the name of Robin Dunbar is the professor of evolutionary psychology. I don't know what that is, but that sounds really important, right? So he, they did this study, and here's what they were citing, a dramatic revolution in our social world, that he wondered if the size of your social media network had any correlation to having more friends in real life. So the average number of Facebook friends with people in America that they had about 150. How many of you have more than 150 friends on Facebook? Let me see your hands. Okay, good. Anybody with 1,000 or more? Yeah? Anybody max out at the 5,000 already? Okay. Well, according to this, about 150 are the average, and only 28 on average, they're recognized as, quote, low-level friendships. I would hate to think that I'm somebody's low-level friendship, but I guarantee you I am, right? And you know, the sad thing is, you are too, because we've categorized these Facebook friends based on things that aren't always the truth behind the photo. And so we put this together, but this, it got worse, all right? When the participants were asked how many of those friends would help out in a time of need, emotional distress, or other crisis, the average was four. Out of 150, four. And listen to this, around 14 of 150 would actually express some tiny bit of sympathy. Let me ask you a question. How many real friends do you have? I mean, the kind of friend that if, if you desperately needed somebody, who would you call? I mean, there aren't many of those in our life. If you can fill up one hand and each finger count for, for a friend, if you filled up one hand, you've done something really good by far more than most. 
the, a recent study that I read said that the average American male has two friends in their life. Basically, I'm talking about two really good friends in their life. The average female has three. That we rarely have meaningful, purposeful friendships apart from that very small pack. And it doesn't matter whether you're introverted or extroverted, it is what holds that friendship together. So knowing the background that what's happened here is that Saul and his son Jonathan are in a tent, the king's tent. And what's just happened is David, the shepherd boy, has left his dad's farm and he's bringing bread and cheese to feed his brothers who are on the front line of Israel's army about to face the Philistines. But as you know the story, there in the Valley of Elah, down came from from that little plateau, down came from that a nine and a half foot giant by the name of Goliath. And Goliath is dog cussing all of the Philistine, all of the Israelites, and he is cussing God. I mean, it was like watching the coach of Notre Dame last night when they put the camera on him. I mean, that guy dropped more F-bombs than I could ever imagine. I hope he went to mass this morning. Just saying. But listen to me. Saul was dog cussing God and David came and he wasn't old enough to be in the army because he had to be at least 20 years of age. Uh, Most scholars would agree that David was probably 16 or 17 years old. And David comes and he sees all these Israelites who refuse to go down and fight Goliath because Goliath said, listen, send me your best guy and we'll take him on and whoever wins, we win everything. So, so David, who's gone there to just be a food delivery boy, I mean, he's like DoorDash and he gets there and he looks out and he says, wait a minute, y'all can't let this guy dog cuss my God like that. So he walks down to the brook, which by the way, if you go with us to the Holy Land in April, you can walk by that same brook and pick up those five smooth stones and bring them home, just like David did. And I've heard, I've heard preachers all my life say, I'll tell you why he picked up five smooth stones. He thought Goliath had four other brothers. They don't know anything about that. I mean, he picked up five stones. I don't know why, but he picked up five. And he took one and he slung it around and he popped Goliath right in the head and down he went, right? And we know the story. David's a hero. He takes Goliath's sword and chops that dude's head off. You've got to love a guy that'll finish the job. <laughs> and so go, David is like, yeah, I took care of business. That's good. So the king, Saul, sends Abner, who's his right-hand dude, go get David and bring him to my tent. So David comes to the tent and in the tent with King Saul, with Abner, with his cabinet, and his son Jonathan, the story picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. And listen to what the text says. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and officers alike. Now, if you think about this, here's what happens. There is an expression of love and there is an expression of gratitude, not just from everybody in the tent that David took Goliath out, but Jonathan, who's next in line to be the king, sees 
David and he thinks, wait a minute, God himself is bonding my soul with the soul of David. Now remember, this is when David's a kid. This is not King David. This is not the man after God's heart yet. This is the shepherd boy, David. And Jonathan, the scripture says, has this overwhelming recognition to the degree that he takes off his his cloak, he takes off his armor, and he sets it there and he gives it all to David. Now you could say, well, that's no big deal. I do that like in the winter when we collect coats for people. Not like that. The cloak he took off was the royal cloak. What he took off of him symbolized, I'm next in line. What he took off represented to everybody's eyeballs, ears, and and brain, that's the next guy, that's royalty. Now, you know, if you watch enough of the royalty over in in England, you will find that Americans are fascinated with royalty, aren't we? I mean, we're kind of fascinated with that. Well, that's because we know who they are because of all the pomp and circumstance. We would have known that Jonathan was next in line because of all the pomp and circumstance. He was front and center. He was always by Saul's side. He commanded 600 men himself. He was a mighty warrior. He was the guy who took out more than 20 Philistines before all this happened. Listen, he is a bad boy and he has every right to receive being the king. But in this story, Jonathan shows this remarkable expression of friendship in two ways. You ready? In his attitude and in his action. In his attitude and in his action. Have you ever been around somebody and when their attitude is bad, we're all having a bad day? Have you ever been that way? It's like you're on a family vacation and there's one person that they're just sour and miserable and they just make all the rest of us miserable. I mean, the kind, the kind of miserable attitude that you, while you're rolling down the road, you know, slowly at about 85 on the way to Florida and you know that you, you've got the radar thing to make sure that you don't get busted and about that time you want to open the back door and say, we'll pick you up on the way back. I'm talking about that kind of attitude, the kind that when they're having a bad day, we're all having a bad day. But you know, then there are friends who are all talking, no action. And I I want to caution us that when we start recognizing true friendship, we'll see it in attitude and we'll see it in action. Love is expressed in attitudes. Loving friendship is powerfully expressed in an attitude of selflessness. When we have a true friend, it's selfless. I've had friends before and you have too where it, we were friends as long as I could do something for them. Well, listen, that, that's, that's not a friendship, that's just a transaction. We've had friends that stuck with you for a while, but when, but when you couldn't offer something, anything for them, you, you couldn't find them. Those aren't friends, those are players. And, and we've had some friends that we've had for years and years and years, but by and large, most of us have acquaintances and we have a handful of small friends. Jonathan says, as his his attitude reflects, I'm not going to whine about how David is now the star of the show. I'm not going to get jealous because David is now the one that everybody loves. Jonathan sees David and he says, wait a minute, I want to serve you because I can see that God himself has knit us together. That word for knit that is used here is like a combining. And when those, those two souls come together, it is both knit and tied and it cannot be broken because there's something deeper than what they do for one another that has held them together and glued them through thick and thin. If you're looking for a greater marriage, determine that you're going to become a selfless spouse. 
one that is knit together through thick, through thin, through the best, through the worst, and that it cannot be pulled apart. But you know, most of us, we, we don't always look for the right thing. And a friend, often we look in the wrong place. Like if you're here today and you say, man, I need a friend like that. I need a friend like Jonathan. I need a, I need a friend like David. I, I want to be knit together with somebody. Then let me ask you, where are you looking for them? Are, are you looking for somebody that you can be grounded in the faith with Christ that is so strong that you're not going to be pulled apart when the wind starts blowing? Are, are, are you going to find somebody who's, who's decided, wait a minute, I love you because Christ first loved you and Christ first loved me. And because of that, we can come together for something that's far greater than what we could imagine. Jonathan was definitely a little older, but Jonathan had a lot to lose. Everybody knew that he was the guy. He gained great applause once as the nation's savior when he took out those Philistines, but now David is the guy that's up on the pedestal. And you know, oftentimes, we don't find many people that cheer us on when we succeed, do we? Because... I don't have many friends that would say, man, I want to I celebrate when, when you succeed. By the way, if you're looking to determine what kind of friend you have, it's not always how they act and react when things are down. It's also when you succeed, are they thrilled for you? Do they celebrate you? Because if, if they'll do that for you, or, let me ask you what kind of friend you are. Are do you see somebody succeed that's a friend of yours and you just think to yourself, well, if I had that. I mean, at no point did Jonathan whine and moan and gripe about all of this. I mean, literally, the scripture says, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. I had something similar happen to me about two times in my life. I was, uh, the first time I met Rusty Thigpen, we were on a mission trip in the Bahamas of all places. You know, Rusty's about to drown. And I thought, well, I'm going to drown with him then. And so we tried our best to drown. But you know, it was like God knit my soul to that cat. And whether he likes it or not, I'm sticking with him. I, I showed up in El Paso, Texas to go to work on, on the border and try to help become a part of a solution. I met a guy by the name of Todd Lamphier. And you know what? It was 10 minutes into a conversation. I thought, I'm going to be friends with that guy for life. Do you know, I, I, when I stop and think about my close-knit group of friends Man, here on earth, it starts with Jenny. That's the greatest friendship I've got. And man, listen, guys, man, if you're married, look right here. Do not make the same mistakes I make. Make sure that your wife is celebrated and honored and make sure she knows that you absolutely value her and love her day after day after day because you cannot tell her enough. Baby, I love you. Rusty, you're stuck with me. And you know what, guys? Listen, I want to make sure that we understand that our friendships have to be bound by the presence of the Lord or they will not sustain the winds of this world. They will blow apart. It seems to me that Jonathan's love for David was strong because Jonathan saw in David what he saw in himself, a love for God and a love for God's people. The common bond between Jonathan and David was their faith in the Lord. This is what held them together. So let me ask you a question. I'm not suggesting that all of your friends have to be Christians. As a matter of fact, I believe we all ought to have friends that are lost as Hogan's goat. And I don't even know who's Hogan goat, but I know this. You also got to have friends who are grounded and founded in the word of God if you're going to become the person God wants you to be. 
Otherwise, you're just going to keep chasing rabbits your entire life. Well, let's do this. And well, I, I broke my heart and I'm back. Listen, that's what made Jonathan's friendship and love and value for David so strong. I, I love in Philippians chapter two, Paul writes this, but I want to read it to you the way Eugene Peterson wrote it in the message. In Philippians two, it says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and get others Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. That's an attitude of love. Don't think less of yourself. Simply think of yourself less. And when I see this, I, I re realize that Jesus set the standard as well. You will love others. You'll love your neighbor as you love yourself. One of the things I love is that Jonathan understood who he was. Jonathan understood that he was first called to serve God before he was called to serve his daddy, the king. He was called to, to find friendship grounded in faith before he did in politics. He founded this, this relationship knowing that David would indeed become the next king of Israel before he ever knew that David had been anointed by the prophet in the shepherd fields of Bethlehem when he said, you are who God's picking a ruddy little teenager. And you know what Jonathan said? I'm gonna surrender all because I can see the hand of God on you. Don't you wanna have friends that you can see the hand of God on? Don't you want friends that when you call them, you don't just go through the pomp and circumstance of friendships. You don't, you don't go through all the fall to raw of just junking around, but you can literally talk about things that matter, that you really can pray with people, that you really can talk about spiritual matters and it's not uncomfortable. Even though Jonathan was next to be in line, he, he displayed a selfless attitude and action. Listen, his focus was on God and the things of God. And because he trusted fully in the Lord, he was freed from the trappings of self and selfishness. He was able to give himself wholeheartedly and freely to love God and to love others. If you want friends that stick, you got to do the same thing. And that cannot happen when we love others as we too often truly love ourselves. I'm the master of, of negative talk. I don't know what percentage that I do and talk to myself negatively, but it happens all the time. I, I, most of us do. You know, I'll do something, you know, I'll think, Chuck, you idiot, what are you thinking? Chuck, dummy, what are you doing? And you know, I'm, I'm so grateful Jenny loves me enough that she'll say, well, let's stop that. And what I know is that, okay, it's time to stop that. I, I and you were wonderfully made in the image of God. I mean, how dare us throw it back to God and say, I'm an idiot. He made me. He didn't make a mistake when he made me. I mean, he didn't make a mistake when he made you. I mean, when you look at that, you see, well, what kind of friend are we to be? Somebody made in the image of God and knows it and lives it. This is the goal. By the way, that would have been a great time for amen. Somebody who knows it and somebody that lives it. Y'all are killing me. Loving friendship is expressed in attitude, it's expressed in action. Verse three says, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. A covenant, a covenant 
is an agreement between two parties. The exact relationships of the two parties will vary in context. In this case, though, he, he makes this covenant, Jonathan, with David three times in the same book. Jonathan's covenant of friendship with David represents three things. You ready? Commitment, dedication, and loyalty. You know what I think is a wonderful quality for friendships for us is to, is to make sure that we have commitment, dedication, and loyalty. The covenant love was expressed not just in words, but in actions. You see, sometime later, Saul, he would get very jealous of David to the point that he hunted him down to kill him. And Jonathan was the one that kept trying to salvage the relationship. You know what happened? David honored that and he expressed his covenant love to Jonathan by taking care of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was brought into David's life for long-term care way after Jonathan's death. A covenant love between friends is committed, it's dedicated, and it's loyal. It is a covenant. It is a willing contractual action built on the unshakable bond where the Lord has bound your heart with others. Your relationships, friend, they require you, though, to be spiritually growing. Listen, if you've already checked out on me, look right here. If you want healthy friends, then find somebody that is growing spiritually. Because if you are the sum total of your relationships and there's not enough open God speak within those relationships, you will become the lowest common denominator. And you say, well, Chuck, no, I'm with God. I'm all the way. Well, then let me ask you a question. Why aren't you leading the pack with your friends and the things of God? Well, Chuck, you know, it's not that kind of relationship. Me and the boys, we get together. Okay, guys, look at me. That is a sissy way to live for God. I mean, man up and openly speak on the things of God. But Chuck, you don't know where I work. If I do that, okay, suck it up and speak openly about the things of God. Stop being a sissy. Listen, the world is sick and tired of men who claim to be followers of Jesus and everywhere they go, it's like, how about that game last night, man? And then you move on. And you know what I think the Lord is saying? Man, would you please stand up for me? If you want a friend who will stick closer than a brother, guys, listen, you better find somebody who will stick with Jesus. When things are good, when things are bad, get with it. Well, Chuck, I'm just a little, I'm not like that. Yes, you are. Because every person in this room needs a friend. Every man in here needs a buddy. Everybody here needs to be sharpened. Everybody here needs someone that will love them enough to say, but here's what God says. And you say, well, I'm the exception. But let me stop and say, no, you're not. I love you, but no, you're not. There is no exception to this rule. We desperately need one another. Here's the thing that I I want to wrap up with. We know that Jesus from the Christmas story was born in the lineage and the family of David. And we know that the scripture teaches us that Jesus came along in that lineage And in doing so, what we know that we know that we know is that inside this text and inside this scripture, we know this, that Jesus came and he was our most giving friend. Jonathan took off his royal cloak. Jesus took on our sinful nature. Jonathan handed over his weapons. 
Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit. Jonathan said, I'll be your buddy until such time as we die. And Jesus said, I'm going to be your buddy and we're going to live forever. I don't know about you, but I better start with that relationship, getting that one right. You want to be a good friend? You got to get that one right. You want to be a healthy spouse? You got to get that one right. Yeah, well, you know, Chuck, I'm not really a spiritual person. Okay, that's just, that's just, that's a lie. You were born a spiritual person. The question is, what are you spiritual about? And if it's anything other than Jesus, you will never, ever be the friend or have the friend that God designs for your life. Well, Chuck, now you, you just went to stepping on toes all over this room. Could I just tell you, I promise you, it ain't me stepping on your toes. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you to let into your life the greatest friend of all time. Man, when I, when I watched Bobby baptize that little dude back there, I, I thought, man, that is, that's what heaven looks like right there. Tristan, buddy, don't, don't ever forget how cool it is that your grandpa could baptize. That's one of the coolest things in the world, bro. Don't miss the greatest friend of all time. You say, Chuck, I, I got to have it. I, I need a new pack of friends. I, I, I want friends that will help me openly speak about the things of God. I want to be able to utter the name of Jesus without getting ridiculed. Where do I find those kind of friends? You find them, folks, listen, by getting yourself spiritually healthy and growing spiritually. And it starts with a simple prayer that just says, God, I'm calling on your name. Would you hear me and would you give me that kind of friendship with you and with the Father God. Say, Chuck, that's what I need. I need to start there. What do I have to do? Well, it's just simple. You call on the name of the Lord. There's no magic to it. You don't walk an aisle to do it. You don't have to kneel to do it. You don't have to blubber to do it. It's this simple. Jesus, I, I want you to come into my heart because I'm calling on your name. Thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead for me. I want to turn my life around. I want, to, I want to live for you, not me anymore. I want to live selflessly. Would you be my greatest friend and give me heaven? I'm so grateful. Please forgive me. And if that's the desire of your heart today, and you want that friend, I want to make it hard for you. I don't want anybody to close their eyes. I don't want you to bow your head. I just want to say, if, if that's the desire of your heart, just stand up right where you're at. All it takes is one person to stand, and there'll be more, I promise you one person yeah amen stay standing anybody else anybody else that's a lot of guts right there young lady that's a lot of guts anybody else come on I believe the Lord's dealing with some folks and you're going to wait for me to quit and I'm not going to do it I believe with all my heart yeah amen 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 just another second or more anybody else amen bless you Amen. Amen. Y'all just stay standing for a minute. And I want to tell you, Jesus is a friend that will stick closer than a brother. He'll stick closer than any human parent you've had. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has created a home for you in heaven, and you have chosen to accept it today. And I want you to know, I am so proud of the kind of courage it is to stand in a room like this and say, I need that and I want that. 
And these people here who have already chosen to do that, they want to celebrate you. But before they do, I want to tell you, all of heaven is so proud of you. And I want to encourage you to follow Jesus in the next step of obedience. And when you're ready, schedule a time of baptism. There's, there's, nobody's going to push you into it just when you're ready. But I want to pray for you all. Then we'll all stand. Lord, thank you. Thank you for these folks who had the courage to stand and say, that's me today, Pastor. God, would you bless them richly? Would you dig down deep in their soul and be the friend that never leaves them? God, would you inhabit their soul all the way down to the nooks and crannies? Give them life eternal and life in abundance. In the name of Jesus, I ask all these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Everybody stand for just a second. I, uh, man, I'm telling you, it never gets old seeing people give their life to Christ. It never gets old. It's the greatest thing in the world. So I urge you, friends, don't, don't miss what the Lord wants you to do. Don't miss getting in a group to grow up. Don't miss looking for friends that you can openly speak on the things of God with. And don't miss the beauty of the Lord. Let him go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight. Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved. And let him come around behind you and when, when life is just beating you up, just let him stoop over so you can hop on his back and wrap your arms around his big broad shoulders. And let him carry you, not around the mess you're in, but right through the middle of it, only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap your loving arms around him and let him say to you, my child, I love you. God bless you, friend. Go in peace.